Welcome to the Exercises for Everyone podcast, where we talk about all things related to exercise, regardless of having limitations or not. Our guests provide information, insight, and inspiration to get you moving and keep you going. My name is Wendy Kleinke, and I am your host. So let's get started. Hello, everyone. I'm really excited about the guest that we have here today. I have David Hollingsworth with us. David has an amazing story about how he got into a motorcycle accident. An exercise was pivotal in his recovery, and he actually went from not being able to walk to to doing the Marine Corps Marathon. So, um, David, I'm really excited to have you here with us. And I would love if you would just, you know, start by giving us a little bit of your history. Tell us about your motorcycle accident, how that came about. And we'd just love to, to know you a little bit more. So please dive in wherever you're, wherever you want to begin. Sure. Um, I've, I grew up in the Midwest, but I've lived out here in the Washington, D.C. area since the early 90s. Uh, and I was never an athlete, uh, even though I did run track and cross country in high school. After that, I kind of fell away from it. Um, but I did, as a bucket list item, I ran the New York Marathon in 1989 and the Marine Corps Marathon in 94. But then kids came along, family became a bigger priority, and I fell out of it. You know, I was a dad. I didn't do much exercise other than what I did with the kids. Uh, but in 2004, I decided I wanted to learn to ride a motorcycle. So I went out and bought one, um, and it wasn't a Harley. It wasn't some big, thunderous machine. It was a little Honda Rebel 250, um, or as I said, born to be mild. I was practicing in the neighborhood, you know, driving through the local neighborhood streets and practicing at the local elementary school. And one day... In July of 2004, I was practicing in a parking lot, doing figure eights and going across back and forth, starting and stopping, hitting the brakes. And on one of my runs across the parking lot, I hit a patch of sand and started to lose balance on the bike. And instead of stopping the bike, since I'm right-handed, I grabbed what was closest to me, and that's the throttle. And the bike shot forward, and before I could get on the clutch and the brake, I hit the curb with the front tire of the bike and bounced off of it and landed right on the corner of the curb. And as soon as I hit the curb, I knew something bad happened. Uh, somebody saw it, called the paramedics, and when they got out there, they were checking me to see what hurt and what didn't hurt. And I realized I couldn't feel my right leg. Um, I was, you know, wiggling my fingers and wiggling my toes and realized my right leg didn't work. So initially my right leg was paralyzed. Uh, they put a cervical collar on me, transported me to the emergency room, and they had to stabilize me for two days uh, prior to surgery because it was the impact was that bad. The emergency room report, it... Um, said I had an explosive burst fracture of the L2 vertebrae on three axes with 60% compression of the spinal canal. Oh, my and, goodness. Yeah. And prior to surgery, the doctor said, we're going to do everything we can 
but I can't guarantee that you're going to walk again. Um, after a seven and a half hour surgery, I came to and was pretty doped up. I was on morphine and all sorts of uh, pain relievers. I had had a four level spinal fusion from T12 to L3. Uh, they glued my L2 back together, did a bone graft, and put me in what they call a TLSO brace, uh, which is a clamshell, big plastic thing that straps around you to kind of hold me together while I healed. Wow. And, yeah, I was in the hospital for 10 days in critical care and two and a half months of rehab. And by the time I left, I could stand and I could walk about 20 feet. Um, so after that, I was discharged to home and was off of work for six months in total and a year before I was released from treatment. And by that point, I could, I could walk around the block. I could you know, walk a couple miles, um, but was pretty much told, well, this is kind of where you're going to be. Um, and that was where I was for a couple of years until I learned to ride a bicycle again. And that was how I got most of my exercise between that and walking. But by the time 2012 rolled around, so now this is now eight years post the accident, I wasn't happy where I was. I was, I had, because I was more sedentary, I had gained about 80 pounds. Um, I wasn't as active as I wanted to be. And I decided that things needed to change. So I asked my doctor, I said, you know, if I can walk, can I run? He said, yeah, if somebody's chasing you. <laughs> so <laughs> I um, signed up for a 5k just to make sure that somebody would chase me. And sure. <laughs> I, um, the first time I went out and tried to jog, I made it all of 60 feet. And that's all I could do. Um, so slowly, I would go out and jog 60 feet and walk 60, jog 60, and, and do that until I could get up to the distance of a 5K. And that was a huge turning point for me where I did in March of 2013, where I did my first actual event post that. And I, I wasn't fast and I wasn't. Uh, athletic or anything, but I could, I could do a 5k. And that so, led, go ahead. I, I was just wondering, you know, as you're talking about this, I have to wonder, you know, how, where was your mindset at? I mean, you, you have everybody telling you, you can't do this and you shouldn't do this. And yet you did it anyways. So what, what was your mindset at? I mean, especially when it comes to like, with the with the doctor telling you, well, you can run, but only if somebody's chasing you. So how did that kind of impact how you thought about things? Well, I don't know if I've ever matured beyond being an adolescent. Um, if somebody tells me I can't do something, then that immediately makes me want to do it, okay. to prove them wrong. Um, and the doctor was looking out for me uh, that, you know, I needed to be aware of the fact that I am bolted together. Um, but when people would tell me that, you know, I don't know if you can do this, that tends to spur me on a little bit to see it. Well, what can I do? Uh, which is kind of what led to longer events that summer. You know, I went from, I did a few five K's and I said, well, 
why can't I do a five miler? And then that led to my first 10 mile event. And by the fall of 2013, I uh, did the Indianapolis half, uh, Indianapolis monumental half marathon. Um, and actually did a pace that wasn't that bad for some, for somebody my age, uh, because I was 52 at the time. Um, and or 53 at the time. And I thought, you know, if I can do a half, why can't I do a full marathon? And so I started planning out my bucket list of what I wanted to do for the 10 year anniversary of the accident. Um, and that led to everything that happened in 2014, because in, in February, I did a rowing competition, and then two days later, I took a train up to New York and participated in the Empire State Building run-up, so ran up the Empire State Building, and then I did a couple uh, sprint triathlons, which are the short short versions of those. Um, then in May, I did a bike ride called the Assault on Mount Mitchell, which is 102 miles with 30 miles of climbing, all of it at the end. So you end up riding wow. to the top of Mount Mitchell. And then in November, uh, I ran the Marine Corps Marathon. And even though I wasn't fast, I did finish. So this is all 10 years after you were paralyzed. <laughs> well, my right leg was initially paralyzed before they let the pressure off of the spinal canal. Yeah, I see. So 10 years after the accident, yeah, have you? I think most people probably don't do that many events in their life, let alone in, you know, an eight month period or nine month period. Did you exercise like that before your accident? No, no, I was, uh, I was on a mission um, that I wanted to see how, how much I could do. And some of it was deliberate. Um, like the, once I did the half, I said, you know, I need to be able to do a full marathon. Uh, the bike ride happened because I had tried to do the same bike ride in 2008, you know, four years after the accident, because that was, had been on my bucket list since I read about it in high school. Um, there is this bike ride called the assault on Mount Mitchell, and it was rated as one of the top 10 toughest bike rides in the country. So I want to do that. Uh, and I tried to do it in 2008 and I had to bail at 80 miles because I just couldn't climb anymore. Um, so that was, I still had it on my list. The Empire State Building run-up happened because I was having an online conversation with somebody about bucket lists in general. And somebody had mentioned that there was this race called the Empire State Building Run-Up. I said, well, that'd be a cool one to do. And it's no sooner than I had mentioned that, uh, somebody sent me an email and said, hey, I can get you in the race. Uh, the only catch is you have to raise, I think it was $2,500 for charity. Um, so I signed up and then realized that if I didn't raise the $2,500, I'd be writing a check. So... <laughs> It's like that's that that uh, scene with Sean Connery. They burned their butch, and so they were they were very motivated. Um, I was highly motivated to train and raise the money. Um, so 
that, but that wasn't my goal. It was somebody said, Hey, wouldn't this be cool? And I thought, yeah, it kind of would be. So I've done just as many things because of backing into them as I have about setting the goals. Uh, the marathon happened because I wanted to show how far I had come from that point where the doctor had said that I might not walk again. That's amazing. That's amazing. What what types of benefits would you say that you've gotten from this overall experience, like from like all of it, like from the time that you were in the accident until where you are today? How has this impacted you like on every level? It's interesting that I've, I think I've done a lot more because of the accident than I would have had it not happened. I mean, obviously there are some, there are some side effects from having a four level spinal fusion. I mean, it's, you know, 16 years post the accident, I had to have another procedure earlier this year because I was having pain and weakness in my left leg. So we had to go in and fix something with that. So there's kind of the overcoming the obstacle part, which I think is really helped my self-confidence. There's the obvious physical benefits of training for doing more. But I think the biggest thing, the biggest effect has been mental. Um, You know, not that I'm crazy or anything, Um, (laughs) but the biggest benefit has been just the feeling that I get from doing something, which um, ties into how I ended up writing the book Um, because after the, or before the Marine Corps marathon, I got interviewed on Comcast Sportsnet. I said, the toughest thing wasn't the race or the recovery. It was getting out the door every day. And once, once I did that, the rest was easy because there have been days where, and there are days that I don't want to do anything. You know, I'm either sore or sleepy or in a bad mood or whatever. And I would just as soon not get out on the bike or not go out and run or even walk. But what I found is if I can get vertical, <laughs> open the door and go out and do something, I've never come back in a bad mood. I've always felt better after I've gone out than before. And to me, that's the biggest benefit is if my attitude is good, I can do pretty much anything. So sometimes I have to jumpstart it by getting in motion because I've never been able to outthink my way out of a funk. But I've been able to bike my way out of it. I've been able to run my way out of it. Um, So I think the biggest benefits are mentally and emotionally. That's amazing. I I think that a lot of people that regularly participate in exercise would agree with you when it comes to, you know, the mental benefits of exercising. And it's definitely something I think that you develop more and more appreciation for it over time. Yeah, I, I would agree that, uh, the the benefits the physical benefits are definitely there but to me the emotional and mental benefits are just as important if not more important yeah i think i would also agree with that you know i i 
I think that the importance of having, you know, a way to regulate your mindset and a way to kind of, like you said, get out of the funk, ride your way out of it, walk your way out of it. Uh, I think it's huge. And it's so simple to do. And it, it seems it, it, when you think about it, it's kind of funny because you are moving your body, but you're changing your mind at the same time. Well, and I think that's why um, a lot of people have difficulty, myself included, with with being consistent about an exercise program is that, you know, the things that I did in that recovery, some of which were definitely goal-oriented and obstacle-oriented, um, but outside of those things, the most important thing that I think I need to focus on is having fun. Um, when I go out on the bike, when I, I just went out yesterday, did 15 miles at lunchtime, that I want to be having fun, you know, especially when I'm on the bicycle. Um, when you're a kid, when you first learned to ride, it felt like flying. Mm-hmm. Uh, to me, it still does. Uh, that feeling, emotion of being alive, of being in the moment, if you can enjoy it and find find things that you like to do, you're a lot more likely to do them as opposed to thinking of exercise as a, as a task, as something you've got to do. Uh, that component is there, but if you're having fun, you're a lot more likely to keep doing it. I would agree with that. I, absolutely. What did your training schedule look like? I mean, I know you said that you you look at it more as an enjoyable activity, but, you know, when you are having those kinds of, like, event-based goals, I would imagine that you had some sort of schedule that you were trying to stick to so that you could build up the endurance for it. What did that kind of look like? Well, there, there are two pieces of that. One is, what does anybody have to do to train up to either a triathlon or or marathon event. Uh, At any age, I think there's like a six-month ramp-up to that, at least. And the older you get, the longer that ramp-up needs to be. So there are some considerations that I took into account. I I signed up, I think I got Jeff Galloway's um, program, a marathon training program. And he recommends that people kind of walk and run and do a combination of those things. And I modified it slightly so that because of my injury and because of my age, uh, I never run. I try not to run two days in a row. I always try to put some recovery in there. So if, if the training program was running five days a week, I would be running three to four. Um, and, and doing other non-impact things to work on endurance because running, you, you take a beating when you run. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I did follow a program for that. Uh, I did follow a program for the triathlon. I worked with a local um, triathlon club who had a first-time triathletes program. And they took us from... Um, you know, swimming one length of the pool to swimming the 750 meters 
for the, the biking I had down and the running I had down, but it was integrating all three of those. Um, for the Empire State Building run-up, you got to take the stairs. That's really the only training for it. And the funny thing was a week before the event, I broke my toe. Oh, um, oh my. That's another thing I want to tell the listeners is you will run into obstacles that are things that set you back. And since I had raised all that money, um, in fact, I had doubled the amount that they had asked me to raise. I didn't want to disappoint people. And so I'm starting to look at WebMD and what do you do about a broken toe? And the answer is you tape it to the next one. Yeah. Um, there's not really <laughs> much you do. But I also changed the way I climbed the stairs instead of running, which is how I fractured it. Um, I started hiking up two steps at a time. So it's about the same level of effort, but I was hiking and not running. Um, so like grabbing onto the rails and kind of pulling myself up the whole way. So, you know, 1,576 steps, uh, 86 floors. And 20 minutes later, I came out of the top deck of the Empire State Building. That's amazing. I love how you just took the challenge and adapted to it. Like that's, I I didn't expect you to tell me that. Like I, that's very inspiring. Well, the cool thing is on all these things, you don't have to be good. You don't have to be fast. Um, once you get there, uh, you can do it. Like in the um, the uh, assault on Mount Mitchell, I bailed in 2008, and then in 2014 when I did it, I was I was already motivated to to finish it this time. And once I get up to about 90 miles, so you're just climbing the whole last 30 miles. I was cramping again, so I'd have to stop and get off and walk the bike, massage it out, get back on. And I kept falling further and further back from the pack. And eventually the SAG van, the broom van, is pulling up behind me and saying, do you want to get in? I'm like, no, I'm, I'm good. I'll keep going. And then they say, you're going to run out of time. I'm like, I'm going to keep going. Um, then the third time I said, how many people are behind me? They said, seven. Like, I'm good. You know, as long as there's somebody behind me, I can keep going. Then it was five and three, and it was two, and then I was like, you're the last guy. And if I run out of time, I'll get in the van. But as long as I've got time, I'm going to keep going. And without a, with about a mile to go, I um, got up to um, turn. I was turning on a switchback, and I put my foot down. Um, to rest for a second and my entire leg just seized up with a cramp. So I'm still attached to the bike with my left pedal and I just fall over in the middle of the road and park ranger comes around in this truck and he thought I'd been hit by a car because I'm laying there in the middle of the road and he was telling me I had to get back in the, I had to get in the truck. I'm like, I was like Richard Gere and an officer and a gentleman like, I got no place to go. I'm literally, (laughs) literally crying. Um, I want to go. And he helped me get the bike up, helped me walk it out so I wasn't cramped anymore. Got on the bike and pushed the last mile. And with about eight minutes to go, I crossed the finish line. Um, 
And normally in that event, there are like a hundred or so people waiting for you there at the finish. There were three guys. Uh, one grabbed my bike, one threw my bag of clothes at me, and the other one shoved me up on the bus because they were ready to go home. Um, and if you look at the 2014 results for the assault on Mount Mitchell, I am the last official finisher. But I kind of feel like I won. Well, I think you did win. I think that that's kind of the whole point, right? You, oh, yeah. The winning isn't coming in first place. The winning is the accomplishment of completing the task, the, the accomplishment of getting your body through it and, oh, yeah. and doing and, what you set out to do. Yeah. Well, well, even in big events like the Tour de France, there is a um, there's, you know, they have the yellow jersey for the, the race leader and winner. They have the I, I think it's the pink jersey for the best mountain climber for the mountain stages. There is a red jersey. Um, called the Mayo Rouge um, that they give to the last official finisher in the Tour de France uh, because, you know, that's uh, 22 days and 2,000 miles of grueling time on the bike for that person to stick it out. Because if you're not going to win or be one of the top finishers, why keep going? And that's, I think, a testimony to uh, tenacity of sticking to it, even though you're not going to be first because, you know, everybody gets trophies, you know, these days. I mean, they hand out medals for pretty much any big event, but if you can, even if you're the last person out there when it's getting dark and everybody else has gone home, um, there's something to be able to stick it out all the way to the end. And I think that's, um, a feeling I can identify with, and hopefully the listeners can too, that even though they may be the last person out there, there is value in continuing to stick to the race. So, yeah, I, I really think that there's something to be said about, you know, really putting your heart into it and finishing what you, what you set out to finish, regardless of where you're placing. And, you know, it's not really about comparing yourselves to others. It's about, you know, being your best self and, and putting forth your best effort, whatever that may be. And not really having to measure yourself against others. Like the purpose of an, an event, in my opinion, is not necessarily, I mean, yeah, there's, there's benefit to placing, but so few people place you know, so, so few people take, you know, first, you know, first, second, third place, but so oh, yeah. many people participate. And I think that people generally participate to be with other people who are doing the same kind of thing. It's well, a sense it, of community. Well, there's a shared suffering in all that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Bill Rogers, who is a world-class marathoner in his day. Um, and I think his best times were in the low two, two hour time frame, like two hours, 15 minutes or so, somewhere around there. He said that he always admired the courage and tenacity of the people who were out there for six because he couldn't see being out there that long. Um, but the way I've always looked at it is no matter how far that finish line seems away, every step you take, it's one step closer. It's not getting any further away. And mentally, that was one of the tricks I used was to keep going, was that 
every you know every minute, every step, the finish line is only getting closer. Um, and there are times where I've either had to drop out for physical reasons, like in 2018, my daughter and I were doing the Disney uh, races, and I had done the for Disney Marathon weekend in January. I had done the 5K, the 10K, and the half marathon on three consecutive days. And the full marathon was on the fourth day. So, and they have awards for that. They have like the um, the goofy medal or the goofy prize, which is you run the marathon and the half on two consecutive days. The if you run all four events on four consecutive days, they have it's called the Dopey Award because you have to be you have to be dopey to do it. Um, yeah. And then you're usually grumpy because you're tired. You're sleepy. <laughs> Because you've worked so hard, you're looking for a doc. Um, That's cute. And you figure which which dwarf are you going to uh, work on next? But I had done three of the events, and by the time I'd done the third one, I was having huge IT band issues on both legs. Mm. So about every couple of miles, I have to spray my legs with BioFreeze. Um, and my daughter said after we got done, she said, "You are not starting tomorrow because you're already injured." Mm-hmm. and you're just going to, you may make something permanent. So I had to listen to her uh, because she's my daughter um, and usually smarter than I am. So <laughs> um, I think there there is a point of being persistent and being tenacious, but also recognizing when you're hurt. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had to realize what that difference was. Um, but for most of the time, if you can get out and do something, you know, it doesn't have to be a full training event. It doesn't have to be a full race. But just getting in motion does wonders for the rest of the day. So, David, what would you say to someone who might have been in your shoes all those years ago and was facing all of the rehabilitation and all of the work that you had to do to get where you are today? What would you say to someone who was just laying in a bed, not wanting to move from zero to one, like not wanting to take that first step? Well, hopefully most people don't have to go through what I went through. Uh, That's number one. Um, But a trick that I learned was to make that first step as small as possible um, so that you know, nobody wants to go out and run five miles around the block. You know, nobody wants to go out and run a marathon. But, you know, you do have to get out of bed to hit the bathroom. Um, you do have to go out to the car to drive somewhere. So is to try to play that mental game and say, okay, I'm only, I only have to do this and make that step as small and easy to do as possible. But because... It's like trying to steer your car when it's turn the steering wheel in the car when you're sitting in the driveway. It's mm-hmm. really, really hard. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're moving along at 40, 50 miles an hour, you can turn the wheel with one finger. Uh, because So once you're in motion, it becomes a lot easier to change direction. It's really that going from zero to one is the hard part. So I try to make that step as small and tiny and insignificant as possible because once you're in motion, it leads to lots of other 
good things that are a lot easier to do once you're in motion. Do you feel like you had this big picture all those years ago, or was this something that just kind of snowballed? Well, I don't claim to have any long-term vision um, or any major life goal that I set this up because, I mean, I think everybody puts together bucket lists of things that they would like to do. Mm-hmm. And most of them end up just being that. They're things that you would like to do. Um, I kind of got thrust into the position of having to do some of them um, because, you know, I didn't expect at age 43 having to learn to walk again. Um, yeah. Yeah, that was, that was unexpected. Uh, but life does happen. You know, things get thrown at you that you're not prepared for. Um, so there was no long-term life plan involved. But what ended up happening was I did one thing, and that led to the next thing, which led to doing you know, the bigger goal, which led to me talking to other people about it, which led to me standing up in front of a group and talking about the experience, which led to me doing stories at like the moth or um, being on stage at the DC improv and talking about things or um, you know, in Toastmasters, I've done lots of things speaking for them, which led to writing the stories down, which led to the book. So it's, you know, one thing does lead to another, but you, it's like Steve Jobs said, you can never connect the dots looking forward. You can only do it by looking back and seeing how did you, get here. So when it happened, I had no idea of where it was going to lead. Uh, But now when I look at where I am right now, to all the things that happened before, everything that happened has led to this point. So when you look back, yeah, it's really cool. When you look back at those points, what surprises you the most? I, th- it's, I think it's two sides of the coin. Um, one is, especially when I was at my worst, you know, feeling, you know, I was in the hospital feeling you know, sorry for myself or afraid of what might happen next. Um, and there's a comedian named Mike Birbiglia, and he tells a story about um, how he sleepwalks. And one time he ended up jumping through a second story window and cutting himself all up and realizing that he wasn't going to die. He said, well, guess I'll go on living. Um, you know, when I was at my worst, I was like, okay, I don't know how I'm going to get through this, but I ended up getting through it. So that side of the coin is as long as you're still around there, you can do something. So things are never as bad as they might seem initially. But also the other side of the coin is you never know how far you're going to go until you start going there. Um, So I think there's both, it's like life. There is both bad and good. There are things that are tragic and heroic, um, but you can never tell what they are when you're in the moment. You have to kind of look, look back and say, well, how did I get here? So, you know, on any day it's, it's a coin flip to see, well, how is today going to turn out? 
but realize that no matter how bad it is, probably get through it. Uh, and no matter where you are now, there are lots of cool things that can happen. So that's why I tell people to get out the door is, you know, keep going and you never know where it's going to lead. Yeah. It sounds to me that you have learned many lessons <laughs> over the, the course of Some this. of them the hard way. Yeah. Uh, there, 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 there's a chapter in the book called School of Hard Knocks um, that where I tell the story of like a farmer who's trying to get his mule to plow and some local salesman says, you know, I can get your mule to plow if you pay me 20 bucks. And he farmer says, well, I don't know. And he gives him the 20 bucks. And the first thing the guy does is take out a two by four and whack the mule across the head. Oh. The farmer says, why did you do that? And he says, well, first you got to get his attention. Um, and some things in life are like that, uh, that it's hard to learn the lesson until it has your full attention. And that's what I look at the accident was. I mean, I would have never thought about a lot of these things until that happened. So sometimes you have to get out of all the dis daily distractions that are in your life and realize what's really important. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes those lessons take either major life events or really long time to, to learn. And what would you say, what's, what is really important for you? I think the thing that gets me out of bed in the morning is what's next. You know, what is the, what is the next big thing? Um, you know, it's even, even though I am not a competitive athlete by any means, um, what is the next cool thing that can happen out there? And that's what I would encourage listeners to look at is what is, what are the possibilities out there if you just get started? Opportunities show up in the strangest places and sometimes they just show up right in front of you and if you if you're not ready to go along for the ride you might miss them so it takes a bit of taking a deep breath and taking that step um but it's like you know i've always had a fear of heights but i've um found if i push myself i can get around that like i um it's like it's like Three or four years ago, I, I jumped off the Stratosphere Hotel in Las Vegas um, safely. They have like a a controlled cable descent from 900 feet above the Las Vegas Strip. But I knew if I looked down or if I thought about it, I'd be walking back indoors. Um, but once I took that step, I was like, wow, this is the coolest thing in the world. Um, but looking at fear, I used to think that fear was a wall that stood between me and the things that I wanted to do. But I realized it's a door that you have to step through to get to the fun, the excitement, the adventure on the other side. Oh the my gosh, David, say that again. Okay. Say that again. That was so good. Fear may look like a wall keeping you from the things that you want to do. But in reality, it's a door that you have to step through to the fun, to the excitement, to the adventure on the other side. Is that and in the, your book? No, that's going to be in the future book. That um, is like so profound. Well, the, the funny thing is, as long as you're on this side of the door, 
you can't see it. You know, you only so see good. it. It's like when when you're when you're a kid and you're standing in a high dive, mm -hmm. and you're like thinking, "Oh, this is so scary! I can't jump off of this." And you have to like walk back on the diving board and do the the climb down the ladder and do the walk of shame back to the locker mm -hmm. room. Um, but when you finally jump off and you or your your buddy pushes you off the diving board, um, you realize that. Hey, this is kind of fun. And then you run around to get back up in line again. It's you don't you don't know what those experiences are like until you take that leap. Um, you know, I I went skydiving once. I don't think I'd do it a second time. Um, but the fun is not inside the plane. The fun is out there. Um, and that's you know that also ties into the the title of the book. It's you know get out that door. Uh, once you, once you do, then you can see all the possibilities that are out there waiting for you. That's amazing. David, this has been just absolutely incredible. You've said some very insightful things. And I, I know that you have said some inspirational things, not just to me, but to, you know, all of our listeners as well. I'd love for you to share with us how can people get a copy of your book? Where can people get in touch with you? Like, how can we connect with you? Sure. Uh, I'm very easy to find on social media. Uh, my handle uh, is hollyworks. That's H-O-L-L-I-W-O-R-K-S. So my website is hollyworks.com. And if you look on Facebook, on Instagram, on LinkedIn, on Twitter, that's the same handle. So it's just at Hollyworks for Twitter, you know, Hollyworks on Instagram, Hollyworks for Facebook, and Hollyworks for LinkedIn. So I'm easily findable. And if you go to my website at hollyworks.com, you can download the first chapter of the book for free. And if you do, you'll be on the list for when the book is released. Uh, there will be a special deal for the ebook version of it. Um, and you'll get notified of when I. Uh, am updating the book for either the ebook version, the audiobook version. And I also write stories every week that go up on the blog. Um, right now I'm going through a series of stories of things that happened when I was a kid. And so I've been working through those, which will go into a future book. Um, but this first book will be out this fall. And if they go to the website, then get a free uh, download of the first chapter. That's excellent. Great. Well, thank you so much for joining us here today. And well, thank you. Uh, I, I guess we'll wrap it up for today. So thank you, David. It's been a, a pleasure talking with you. Thank you very much. I hope you have a super day. And if your listeners want to get in touch with me, uh, just go find me out there on social media. Sounds great. Thanks, David. Thank you. One more thing before you go. As a fitness professional, I have a great love of exercise and a passion that there always be a space for people to get together and enjoy the types of exercise that they love. If you're interested in learning tips and strategies to help you build a fitness community of your own, please join us on Facebook. We have a free group called The Lifted Community where we talk about these ideas. Just search The Lifted Community on Facebook. I'm looking forward to seeing you there.